0: Amen. Thank you, Gerald. As you're seated, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes 1, go right to the middle of your Bible. There you'll find the book of Psalms. Then go to the right of that, you'll find Proverbs, and then you'll find the book of Ecclesiastes. This morning we'll start a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll uh, really just make today sort of an introduction to the book. And then next week we'll come back and uh, take the whole passage from verse 1 down to verse 11... But today we're just going to take a look at verses 1 and 2 and, and get into the book of Ecclesiastes. After today, we'll uh, hopefully have one sermon a week or so. One sermon a week and we'll get through it in about three or four months or so. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll start that today. If you found that, why don't you stand we'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Just verses 1 and 2. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin reading verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that you use this word to open our hearts to the truth of who you are. Forgive us for holding on to things that are not you. Wash us, cleanse us of our false idols, our worship of things that are less than God, and tune our hearts to worship the one true God found in Jesus. Men and women here need healing, need hope, need the joy found in Christ, need forgiveness of sin. We've gathered today on a Sunday that commemorates the resurrection of Jesus. We've done so because we believe and we need you. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1851... 1851, Herman Melville wrote a novel of lasting acclaim. Some of you know it as The Whale. Most of us know it as Moby Dick. Of all the worthy things that could be said about that book over the years, any person that reads it can't help but notice that there are biblical themes stitched in and out of that book throughout all of its pages. Now, I don't know if Herman Melville was a Christian or not. I do know that his Bible, he had a King James Bible, and his Bible had been careworn. It had been uh, read a, a whole bunch. It had been written in a lot. And the one book that was most marked up in his King James Bible was the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read Moby Dick itself, you'll find in the pages of Moby Dick, Melville writes right in it. He writes that the truest man... The truest of all men is the man of sorrows. He's talking about Jesus. The truest of all men is the man of sorrows. And the truest of all books is the book of Ecclesiastes. I love this little book. I love it for one reason that it's little. Short. I like a short book. I love it because uh, this book really was my first introduction to biblical Hebrew. Hebrew. The one man that influenced my preaching the most uh, in my seminary days was a man named Rick Byerjan. He was my major professor, and I, I just followed him around, asked him questions, and his dissertation was written on the book of Ecclesiastes, and he became the major influence. In fact, I didn't learn to preach in preaching class. I learned to preach in Hebrew class. He, he became the major influence on my life, and so I love it because Rick Baerjan loved it. I love it because... I love it because Ecclesiastes asks the questions that you're afraid to ask. I love it because Ecclesiastes confronts problems head on without giving us a pat answer. I love it because Ecclesiastes brings up questions that the other 65 books in the Bible are written there to answer. Namely, those questions that revolve around the big question... Of why. Why are things the way they are? Why why did this happen to me? Life is dull. Life is not fair. Life is depressing. I'm I'm, I'm getting older and I'm still not happy. And I want to know why. That's what you'll find in the book of Ecclesiastes. Kent Hughes is a great preacher. He also is a good author. He wrote several books. One book that we've used here is uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man. He also wrote a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes. And Kent Hughes said that the book of Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible that was written on a Monday morning. Derek Kidner, who is a great uh, Old Testament scholar, a scholar in Hebrew and other Old Testament uh, literature besides Ecclesiastes, He says it another way. uh, Derek Kidner says that Ecclesiastes, uh, the author finds his base camp at wisdom. So the author lives in wisdom. But from base camp, he he climbs and he and he pushes out on the boundaries. Or if you're a teacher, you've had a student like this. The author of Ecclesiastes is the student in the classroom that when you answer one of his questions, he says back to you, yes, but what about this? Ecclesiastes is a bucket of cold water that's thrown on the American dream, and we could, we could use a little dose of reality right about now. Ecclesiastes marks out rooms so you can ask questions. Ecclesiastes gives you some space to be able to ask, okay, so why am I so unhappy? Ecclesiastes allows you to look at society and say, why is there injustice? Ecclesiastes lets you walk over into the shadows and even if just for a moment, ask the question, is is life really worth living? Ecclesiastes gives us a unique perspective on human life. It gives us a chance to unmask the the myth of of human achievement and human autonomy and and self-sufficiency. Ecclesiastes makes us stand up and look in the mirror and see that we can't find real meaning in such a crooked world. Ecclesiastes is needed right now. For many of you, it's needed in our country. It's needed because what it does is it exposes this this mad and insane quest to find satisfaction in all of these different categories. Ecclesiastes says you can't find satisfaction in knowledge. One of my favorite passages is at the end of Ecclesiastes. If you're a student, this maybe will be your favorite passage as well where the author says that of the making of many books, there is no end and much study is weariness of the flesh. And I say amen to that. Ecclesiastes makes it sure you can't find your satisfaction just because you know more than somebody else. Or or he'll talk about work, that you won't find your satisfaction in work. He'll say, what does man gain for all his toil under the sun? Or he'll go on about pleasure and he'll list all of the ways that you might seek to find happiness and joy, and he'll just eradicate all of those, or, or power. Here he is, the king, or wealth. He'll talk about all the money, and he'll go on about that and say, I, I, I got at the end of it, and I found nothing, or fame, or or he'll even bring up the God of this age, sex. He'll stand back and say, I, I didn't didn't find what I was looking for. This this book is a a sandblaster. This book is a a power washer that comes and cleans your driveway so that it's pristine again. This, This book strips us bare and it leaves us with nothing to stand on except the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. So today, what I'd like to do... It just, it just points you to a broad theme in this sermon as we look at the introduction. Point you to a broad theme and ask you to not do something. Don't build your life on lies. All around us, we've got lies. Don't build your life on lies. Build your life on Christ. So with that banner, let's just talk about the book a little bit. Today will be a little bit different than normal. Today I just want to set the stage. <clears throat> I want to give you just a bit of an introduction to this enigmatic little book. I'll uh, go through, just give some meaning to some of the words, and then maybe uh, near the end of this study, just offer up a few truths that we can sort of walk out of here with. So let's just start like we, like we were doing a study, like if you were looking at your ESV study Bible. Let's talk about the title for a little bit. There in the title you'll find the word Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, it's similar to our word for ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, or ecclesia, the Greek word for assembly. That's actually what it is. The word Ecclesiastes is a translation of the Hebrew word koheleth, which you find in verse 1, which is the preacher. So it's the idea of a person that calls an assembly In an effort to preach or teach, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, or verse 1, The Preacher. That's the title. Okay, we got the title set. I would be curious as to who the author is. Anytime you read a book, you need to know who wrote it and who he wrote it to. Who is the author here? Well, there is some debate on who the author of Ecclesiastes is because technically it is anonymous. We don't have the name of Solomon here. Now, Jews for centuries and, and Christians both have believed that Solomon wrote this book because the son of David and the king in Jerusalem. He wrote the other wisdom literature, Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. But some have said, even my own professor thought that, that it wasn't Solomon, but anonymous writer writing wisdom that put on a Solomonic mask. I think you've got to do some gymnastics to get there. I think the easiest and plainest reading is always the best, and is Solomon. So the author of this book is Solomon. But we know the author and the title. What about the themes that run through the book of Ecclesiastes? And there will be several themes that run through the book. You'll find them. Uh, some of them will have to do with work. Some will have to do with death. Some will have to do with wealth. Some will have to do with life here under the sun. But the major theme is found in verse 2. Verse 2, uh, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, you find the major theme. And if you flipped over to the end of Ecclesiastes, you'd find it again in chapter 12, verse 8. That's exactly the same thing. It's important to remember that if on the front end of a book you have a statement and on the back end of the book you have the same exact statement, they serve as bookends so that everything else in that book is there to define what that statement is. Well, the statement, let's read it. The statement in verse 2 is, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Okay, so that was five times the word vanity. If We're going to understand the theme. We need to kind of get a grasp on what that word vanity is. Vanity in the English language is really not a great translation because our minds go to people that are vain or looking in the mirror or thinking mostly about yourself or worried mostly about you. And that's not what this word means. That word vanity comes from the Hebrew word havil, H-A-V-I-L, if you'd like to write down those sort of things. Havil. It's, it shows up 38 times in this small little book. Now that's, a, that's important because it's not used but 30 times in the whole Bible, and here in Ecclesiastes, 38 times. Hevel. That word "havil" has multiple and nuanced meanings. It can mean something like vapor, or mist, or smoke, or, or more philosophically, it might mean something like a problem that is unsolvable. Or if you go to the eye doctor and you sit down and you put that... that Metal gauge into your face and it says, all right, I'm going to put a puff of air into your eye. And it hits you in the eye. It's there. It's real, but it doesn't last very long. Puff of That's what this is. Or this morning, when you walk out on a cold day, I did this morning, walked out to my car and and I could see my breath just for a moment. It means breath. You see it and it's gone. It's not that it's not real, but it's something that you can't actually get your hands on. It's just a whisper on the wind. If you grew up in North Carolina, you know the, the smell of a freshly lit cigarette. Somebody lights one off in the distance, the wind blows, you smell it, and it's gone. A So we've got vanity. Let's get vanity there. Now let's talk about how do we understand this book. Let's talk about the gospel in the book of Ecclesiastes. Gospel. <clears throat> how do Christians How do we read this book? How is it helpful to us? How does a Christian man or woman go to Ecclesiastes and it actually bring healing and hope and joy? Well, there is no other book in the Bible like the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's no other writer in the Bible like the preacher. In fact, when you read it, uh, it can feel It can feel a whole lot like a skeptic or a pessimist wrote this book. But if you have a pessimist, if you're a Christian here and you're a pessimist, you're largely misunderstood. Skeptics and pessimists, if you have Christian friends that are skeptics and pessimists, they're largely misunderstood. You've got to stay with them a moment, sit there with them. So you can get inside what it is they're saying. You've got to do the same with Ecclesiastes. You can't just ride by, read it, and think it's going to do something for you. You've got to sit there a minute. Because when you read it, you find out this is not some sort of pessimistic book that doesn't believe in a God. You find out that God is here. That, that God is in everything that, that God is introduced in this book as the creator and the sustainer. God is, God is seen in Ecclesiastes as much as in any other book, as a sovereign God that is in control of all things. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, you find out that God is inscrutably wise. That what He's doing doesn't make sense to you, but to Him is, it makes sense. And that's all that matters. You, you find out when you read the book of Ecclesiastes that this God, this God is to be feared. He is to be worshipped. You see what Ecclesiastes does? It exposes this wide gap between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And we find out from the 65 other books that 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 chasm can only be covered by the perfect life and the atoning death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way you bridge the gap is to believe what Christ has done. Okay, so all of that to say, that gets us through the introduction. So what I'd like to do uh, for the next few moments, we've got just a few moments together. I'd like to just take these two verses and do what the Puritans used to do with the Bible. And let's just squeeze them for a little while. Let's just squeeze the two verses and just see what comes out that might be helpful for us as we leave here. We won't do this every Sunday In fact, I'm going to take larger chunks. I'll preach every week. But today, I just want to take a look at these two verses and give us some truths we can walk away with. Here's a couple of them. Here's the first one. Number one, perspective is helpful. Perspective. You live long enough, you get some perspective in life. You've done some things and been been some places. Okay, so King Solomon, if he's attested to be the author... We know him to have written three other or three wisdom books. So he wrote the Song of Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Most people that believe that believe that Song of Solomon was written by Solomon when he was a young man. Go read it sometime, only a young man thinks like that. Go read the book. That his head would be turned by a pretty woman that that would get him in trouble down the road. He would marry all these different women. Those women would take his heart away from God, and that would lead him into a really profligate lifestyle. Song of Solomon written um, as a young man. Most believe that the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, was written when he was middle-aged. It's written to his son. It's written in such a way that, that he would say, Look, son, this is how the world works. This is what, I've seen some things, this is what goes on in the world. The book of Ecclesiastes, most believe, if it's written by Solomon, it's written later in life. He's looking back on his life and all the mistakes that he's made. And something has happened, he's come back to God. And he looks back over everything he did, all the money he made, all the women he was with, all the wine he drank, all the... All the great things he accomplished. And he says, now look, I had every bit of that and I was still empty on the inside. And he says in Ecclesiastes, you get to the end of it and you find that there is satisfaction in God alone. For those of you that are young. <clears throat> let me just give you a couple of words of advice. You don't have to learn every lesson the hard way. You'll hear it said that uh, the best lessons are the ones you learn yourself, learn the hard way. I would argue to differ. Some of those lessons don't do you any good. You learn the lesson that you shouldn't be a drunk driver by being a drunk driver and you end up killing... Some, that lesson doesn't do you any good anymore. That perspective... Every lesson you learn doesn't have to be learned the hard way. If if you're a part of this church, God has given you a community of believers. He's given you the Bible. He's given you older men and women that can speak into your life. I mean, one of the things that Solomon says in in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says that God is in heaven. You are on earth. Let your words be few. Get the perspective of somebody that's actually lived a little bit, done some things, and can be able to say to you, look, that's not going to get you anywhere. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to see what it means to to walk with Christ. Perspective in life is helpful. Let me give you another thing to consider when you read this uh, little book, especially verses 1 and 2, and that is that words have power and God's Word has the most power. Your words do have power, but God's word has the most power. Let me show you where I get that. You'll find it in verse 1. You'll notice that the title, part of the title of this book is The Words of the Preacher. Now that little phrase, The Words of the Preacher, really is sort of an official introduction to the entire book. You find that same phraseology in Amos. You find it again in Jeremiah that says, This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so if that's, if that's the truth, and we jump to the Gospels, and we see Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, talking to those disciples, and he takes the Bible and he flips through the pages of the Bible, and he says, this is about me. This word, even Ecclesiastes, will eventually point us to the goodness of God found in Jesus. Jesus. This word has power, and Ecclesiastes especially, when you read it, it has the power to melt away all all the stuff that doesn't matter. Now look, you've spent the last week watching some things that don't ultimately matter. And Ecclesiastes is going to burn all that away so that you can cling to that which does matter That is God and his gospel. That you can cling. You have your life anchored into Jesus, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. You can be anchored into the forgiveness of sins. You can be anchored into having your joy in the Lord. Some of you need to just turn the news off a little bit. I I see it where... um, So the president of the United States has been banned from social media. There's been lots of folks that are, I mean, really, uh, maybe rightly so, made nervous by that. But I would just say to you, instead of worrying about that, why don't you ban social media before it bans you? What what I'm saying is, we've got to make sure that we are not overbalanced and imbalanced By what we're bringing into our hearts and lives. And here's what Ecclesiastes does. He burns all that down. Solomon was richer than anybody you've ever known. Had more power than anybody you've ever known. And yet he says none of that made any difference. Words have power, but the word of God has the most power. I'll give you a third thing to consider. Some of you already know this. You live it right now, even right this moment. And that is that life is perplexing. It's, perplex- it's just confusing. On so many levels. I mean, even that's the theme in verse 2, right? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. I mean, look at that phrase. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. He says it two times for emphasis. Not only that, he says it twice, but notice how it said. Vanity of vanities. He's speaking that life is confusing to the highest degree. Here's where I get that. Think of the phraseology. So, vanity of vanities. If you go into the temple, there you would go past the the holy place to the holy of holies. Solomon wrote his book on the Song of Solomon, and it's called the Song of Songs, the greatest, highest. We speak of Jesus being king of kings or lord of lords, the, the greatest there is. And here's what... Ecclesiastes is offering up, life is vanity of vanities. It is double times absurd. Life is a, is a double vapor. It's absurd. You, you can, some of you live long enough, it doesn't make any sense what's happened in your life. Some of the things that you've gone through are totally belie- they're totally beyond human comprehension. I mean, you could sit here and say, I'll I, I tried to try tried to honor God. I tried to work hard and love my family and go to church, and bring my kids to church. And now this. Look, that. This is what Ecclesiastes is going to tell you. This this perplexing pain is there for a reason. It comes for a reason. That pain drives us to the mercies of God found in Jesus Christ. That's what Ecclesiastes is going to do. Drive us there. There's there's another thing to consider. That is that life is short. Life is short. I mean, just in the word vanity, you find it in verse 2. The word vanity or havil is the Hebrew word. It's used five times in verse 2. Five times is the word vapor or a puff of air. The truth is that you're here one second and gone the next. I mean, the older you get, those of you that are older here in this congregation, I keep pressing what means to be old, keep pressing it out. But I mean, as you age, don't you, don't you feel it? You even hear older. Seems like time is picking up speed as you age. The the, the older you get, the, the faster time passes. Even Churchill would say that he's that he's an old man in a hurry. Every old man ought to be in a hurry because he's running out of time. James says that. James James says it in James chapter four, verse fourteen that you are a mist that appears for a little while, and then you're gone. The psalmist wrote it all over, all over the, the book of Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 15, 16, and 17. Listen to the contrast in that psalm. As for a man, the psalmist says, as for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But look at the contrast. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him and His righteousness to His children's children. So so you hear this, that life is short. You should turn to Christ if you're not a Christian. Life is short. You should live your life for Christ if you claim the name of Jesus. You you live your life for Jesus. I mean, you can look him up, Count Zinzendorf. Isn't Isn't that the great saying? He said that Christians, our duty is to preach the gospel, die, and then be forgotten. Not build a legacy. We burn out for Christ. Life is short. There's something else that you might pull out from this passage. And that is that nothing is reliable. You might even put next to that, no one is reliable. Hear the words in verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, and look at the very end. All of it is haveal. It's all that. Nothing, nothing lasts. Cars are going to be on the scrap yard. Houses are going to break down. Buildings are going to rot. Connie and I, our, our first churches we served in Mississippi, both of those church buildings were built. One was built in 1890. The other was built in 1910. We served in those churches. Every Sunday preaching in those churches, they were great buildings, one out of heart pine, one built out of cinder blocks that they made from the sand down at the river. But even as well built as those churches were, at some point, they started to rot and had to be torn down. And now new brick buildings are in the place, but they won't, they won't last forever either. Clothes wear out. You're trying to build a legacy. Legacies are going to fade. And so here's what the preacher does. He, He gives us this sobering talk. Look, there's this sweeping statement. Every bit of it is vanity. There's only one thing that remains and matters. Jesus, who is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. You can come to Him. You can put your full weight on Him. Your, your life and your, your pain, your hopes, your frustrations, your worries, all of your sin. Whatever addiction and junk and secret things that only God knows, right there at the cross of Jesus. The preacher says, everything else, vanity. I'm going to give you something else to consider. And that is drudgery. The word Drudgery. Drud- Drudgery means something. It's there for a reason. Verse, verse 2, uh, the text says that, that, v- that vanity, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity is, that word Havel. it's built into the creation order after the fall. You don't find vanity in Genesis 1 and 2. You find it after the fall in Genesis 3. So here's what I mean. You, you get bored, that boredom is there for a reason. You're tired of your job or you hate your job, that's there for, for a reason. The loneliness that you sometimes feel, that's there for a reason. Go with me in your mind now, back in the Bible, go back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. They're placed into paradise, and in paradise they sin and are cast out of the garden because of their own sin. And from that day forward, everything changes Listen to a little of what God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the very end of 17. Let me just read you a little bit. The Lord says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. Verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will return. You you understand that the futility, the frustration, the pain, the struggle, uh, all of that makes us long for another world. Drudgery makes heaven real. Let me give you a seventh thing to consider. And that is, you are more fragile than you think you are. You are more fragile than you think. That word, vanity, havil, vanity. So I don't know if it'll be cold enough when you leave today. It was pretty cold this morning when I went out to my car. It was even cold when I got out of my car and come to the church. And I so I tried it twice. I just the next time it's cold and it's below freezing, you can see your breath. Next time that you can see your breath outside and you breathe, what I want you to do is breathe and see your breath and count the seconds before that vapor is gone and that's how long your life is compared to eternity. 10,000 cases the day before, 10,000 cases the day before that of COVID or, or Something goes wrong with your heart, you wonder what it is, and you have to get it checked out, and there's all that blockage. Or an infection you picked up somewhere, or in a car wreck you certainly didn't plan, or you took the wrong medicine, or there's an unseen malignancy. All of these terrible things that can and do happen, what they do is they remind us of a couple of things. One, life is short. It's amazing that, uh, that God would have grace on us. I think it reminds us of the grace of God. Why would he extend grace to a person whose life is going to be so short and is going to live such a sinful life? The fact that God would save sinners through his son, Jesus, is amazing grace. You you ought to feel loved by God. I think this speaks of the love of God. John 3.16 speaks of the love of God that He so loved the world that He sent His only Son. When you think about the world and its transients and your own life, that He would love such a short, sinful life and redeem you. I think this speaks of the joy of God that you have a a little short life to live and it can be filled with a real joy that comes from knowing Christ. I'll give you one last thing. Life doesn't make sense, but neither does grace. It doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense, but neither does grace. We've talked a lot about the word vanity. It's really the driving word in the book of Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes is not the first place it's seen. In fact, the first place you see the word vanity or hevel is all the way back in Genesis. And it shows up in the form of somebody's name. Two brothers, the very first brothers, named Cain and Havel, Abel. Many people think that this word is used because of of Abel, who never speaks. Go read it, Genesis 4, never utters a word. He shows up, then he's gone. And the story goes there that, that Cain killed Abel because he was jealous. Cain killed Abel, and the Lord came to Cain and said, What have you done? Comma, the blood of your brother, Havil, cries out from the ground. And it cries out for vengeance. But that's not the only blood that would be shed that would cry out to God. Draw a straight line from Abel to Jesus. There on the cross, the blood of Jesus would be shed... His blood doesn't cry to God for vengeance. His blood cries out to God for mercy. The blood of Jesus calls out for mercy on sinners, all sinners who will believe. For the next few weeks, as we spend time in Ecclesiastes, I hope that you'll learn to not build your life, don't build your life on lies. Build your life on Jesus Christ. Will you join me as we pray together? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord. A time of commitment and prayer. I'd like to invite any of you that are watching online and you can't uh, yet make it here. I'd like to invite you to respond in some way electronically. Just so we can know how to pray for you. Or or maybe you'd like to have a further conversation of what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. Or, Or any of you here you'd like a pastor to pray with you or you want to talk further about what it means to give your life to Jesus, we're willing to have that conversation and want to so that you can build your life on things that matter. And I would just encourage you to add to your own Bible reading. Go and read a chapter of Ecclesiastes each week. Prepare your hearts to hear from God's Word. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus. Thank you for your Word that we can trust And I pray that by grace that you will take this word and apply it to the hearts of your people. I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that you will use Hickory Grove to to be a church that pushes beyond what we see around us and presses on to the goodness of God found in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.